Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Liam Billingham, and with me is my buckaroo, Phil Gawthorne. Hello. How are you, Phil? I'm terrific. How'd you get here today? Did you get here on a, by your car, by submarine, by by cargo plane? <laughs> I, was, I, was, yeah, I was tempted to take the sub from uh, Glendale to uh, West Hollywood, but in the end, I decided to. I, t- I took the car, but I was blasting Basil pa- Basil Polidorus' uh, soundtrack to this movie. It's pretty wild that you put the Caterpillar drive in your car so that yeah, you can really... stealth purposes <laughs> through LA traffic. Yeah, it's pretty. I don't know if that would yeah. go over well. All of these references to Caterpillar drives and submarines is because today's film is Phil. The Hunt for Red October. Or Die Hard on a Submarine. Yeah. Where are you on submarine movies? So, love a sub, love a submarine. Love a Mine's su- parked love a in the garage. And, and uh, <laughs> mode of transportation. Yeah. I'm more of a helicopter guy. I know you're more of a submarine guy. This movie has both, so we're, we're both in hog well, it's heaven. A, it's a beautiful thing. You're in the air. I'm in the. I'm in the yeah. sea. We can come together. <laughs> We've got and this Invite a small <laughs> island. Um, the Hunt for Red October. I'm a huge submarine guy. This is one of my favorites. The Hunt for Red October. Let's give let's give the people a few facts. Should yes. we give the people a yes. few facts. The Hunt for Red October is an espionage action thriller that was released by Paramount in the U.S. on March 2nd, 1990. Interesting to think of it as an espionage action thriller, Mm. considering the pedigree of the people in it. But I would never think of it as a spy movie. That's a side note, though. Yeah. But te- technically, it is. But yeah, we think it's a submarine movie. It's an action movie. It's a spy movie. But it, yeah, I, I think it's uh, yeah, it's definitely in the espionage realm. Absolutely. It was directed by the great John McTiernan and produced by Mace Newfield. It stars Sean Connery. You have to pause before the name. A moment before the Indeed, name. Indeed, a moment Rest of reverence. Peace. One of the greats. Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill. And I have to say it because the hero of the movie is the sound guy, Courtney Vance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, as Seaman Jones. It just keeps going. This cast list. Yeah, I it's mean, it's, un- it's it's Tim a Curry, murderous row of. It's talent. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Joss Ackland. Yep. Diplomatic community. <laughs> Last time I blew the mic out when I said that, so I, I'm resisting with every bone in my body to not scream "diplomatic community" in a South African accent. Wait, no, um, do one. Move away from the mic. Just right. do one. Diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Amazing. I'm getting, I'm Should improving do, my mic I technique. I think we have to do a ish. radio play of Lethal Weapon 2. <laughs> uh, the stage version of Lethal Weapon. Let's make it happen. <laughs> it seems like a Rushmore thing. The screenplay. Well, let's start. Let's start with the literary reference. This is, uh, this film is based on a novel by Tom Clancy. Your dad, my dad, everybody's favorite dad author in the 90s. The screenplay is by Larry Ferguson and Donald E. Stewart. Uh, it was edited by Dennis Verkley and John Wright. The composer is the great 
Basil Polidorus. What? Can you name offhand a couple other films that he composed Robocop for? and Starship wow. Troopers, I believe. Oh, I didn't know he was a Verhoeven guy. Yeah, have I we, believe so. Have yeah. we talked about Starship Troopers? No, we've not. One of the great movies. Yeah, I obsessed. Love, I, obsessed. I, have, I, have, I have a pretty interesting take on Starship Troopers because at one point I was actually exploring... Uh, I was asked about doing a remake of it. So Whoa. I went on a super, super, super deep dive into Starship Troopers, read the book, studied it a lot, absolutely love it. Interesting comparison, Peter, this in terms of the militarism and, and yeah. what have you, but uh, probably a, a conversation for another day. Yeah, it's one of the great subversive movies, I think, on some level. I think it's absolutely the, Possibly amazing. the greatest. I would, yeah. yeah, it's up there. Uh, but enough, we could listen to it on Troopcast, our Starship <laughs> Troopers podcast. Um, the Hunt for Red October was made on an estimated budget of 30 million dollars looks looks look looks it like it looks incredible like that the the it's just an incredible movie and it grossed 250 200 excuse me and it grossed 200 million dollars um phil this podcast is about die hard yes but also sort of about the hunt for it october yes so why don't you give us a little bit on what the sort of commonalities. What's the diehard DNA What's the, in the if Hunt you will diehard DNA? If you of this will, yeah, diehard DNA. <laughs> it's time for diehard DNA. Um, so, With your host <laughs> Phil Gawthorn. So um, obviously, we, yeah, the main one being director John McTiernan. This is the, the movie that he made um, at the expense of making Die Hard Two, which he was offered but did was not was not did not want to do you know uh, why he is there any text the, about i actually why read he... a quote um that basically said he didn't really like the way that mclean was sort of becoming a superhero was mm. uh, it was less grounded than the original movie but of course he would come back for uh for the for the third uh, installment die hard with a vengeance so we have director john mctiernan we have cinematographer jan de bont who would, would go legend. on a legend who would go on to make one of the great die hard uh, follow-ups. Of course, his directorial Speed. debut, Speed, that we, 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 we're we rattling towards. Yeah, we're very we, excited about that Can episode. you imagine if your first movie was Speed? Yeah, by the way, I'll just rip off this classic, oh, like, no but, biggie. And also, know? in some ways, make as good of a movie. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was also Paul Verhoeven's screenwriter, uh, uh, yeah, cinematographer. Yeah, yeah, so there's yeah. a lot Verhoeven of has a sort of peripheral influence across this whole pod, yeah. so, you know, he's, yeah, he's, 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 he's always in the ether. Verhoeven podcast? Absolutely, oh, sign the me dream. up. I know. After we do Iguana Pod, that I, I still want to, you know. Here <laughs> <laughs> again, Robert Davies, Iguana. Let's get into the it. Iguana stuff. That's a license to kill reference, by the way. For uh, listen to the previous episode yeah. if you haven't already. So we also have a um, couple of Die Hard's cast members. We have actors Anthony Peck, who plays Al Powell's, um, like he's credited as Young yes. Cop. In Die Hard, but he also is interesting in the Die Hard um, mythology because he, he plays two different characters in two different Die Hard movies. Ricky Walsh, he plays a detective called Ricky Walsh in Die Hard with a Vengeance. He plays Lieutenant Commander Thompson here, who's uh, Scott Glenn's number two on, on He's the great. USS He's great. Makes Dallas. a strong Terrific. impression in this movie. He's a big McTiernan guy. He's in all his movies, almost all of them. And Rick Ducuman, who plays the city worker who turns on the power in, uh, in Die Hard at Robert Davies' uh, right. request. And plays the, uh, the the worst guy to be in a plane with ever when you're oh, airsick. So funny though. as the navigator who is telling the stories about puke and. Uh, he's a big McTiernan guy too, right? 
Well, he's been, I know he's definitely been at least two. I'm not sure if he's I think been, he's in, been in like almost. Maybe he was in a yeah, lot yeah. of them, you know. Very and he possibly. passed away sadly. So he did yeah. pass away young. Always a delightful presence on screen. And then it, it, we'll get into this in a bit more detail later, but we also have intense cat and mouse dynamics in a confined space. We have an everyman slash family man hero thrust unexpectedly into a dangerous situation. Mm -hmm. A hero who hates air travel and is partial to soliloquies. A cuddly bear on the plane that he the hero intends to give to his daughter at the end. And an operatic soundtrack um, featuring a lot of choir music. One of the other interesting pieces of diehard DNA, which is a little bit more subtle, I think, is the realistic approach to action uh, mm. that this film embraces. And I place that in context against, say, something like Commando, you know, the, the previous Joel Silver movie from the mid-80s or, or the later Rambo movies around this time that were not necessarily grounded in real-world even physics to some right. extent necessarily. So um, I think the, the grounded tonal approach and the realism of this film is significant in the action movie tradition. And one of the things that makes it very, very appealing to me. Just, yes. I just sure. love the realism of it. Yeah, there's some very interesting diehard DNA in here. The the thing that I think was most interesting in your diehard DNA there is the fact that McTiernan passed on Die Hard 2. Because I think... I like Die Hard 2. I love Die Hard 2. But I think it it's pretty classy to be like, I don't need to revisit this. You know, despite probably them being like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Oh, yeah, the money truck was backed up. Oh, I'm sure, sure the money was, yeah. was crazy. And he's a, uh, but he's, again, this uh, bit of this renaissance guy, I think, who likes to do different things and, and is like, like I can't imagine him in the in the landscape, the franchise landscape very strongly. I see him sort of being like, no, I want to make original movies a little bit, you know, even though he launched a great franchise. Well, I think it, I mean, it's interesting with the McTiernan of it all because it, he made, I actually watched his first movie this week, which is called Nomad starring Pierce Brosnan and is a really weird uh. horror mystery thriller that he actually wrote. That got him Predator. Um, one of three back-to-back -back masterpieces, <laughs> I would say, and certainly in the action genre, Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October. Then then he makes a movie that we kind of forget, um, Medicine Man with Sean Connery. I like Medicine Man. Um, it's not culturally, that was not a sentence I was expecting to hear today. But I, I haven't seen it in 25 years, yeah. but I, I liked it when I was... 15. To your point, again, off the beaten track, not an obvious choice, you know, the, from the director of Predator, Medicine Man. Is Laura Dern in that? Lorraine Bracco. Lorraine Bracco. Is a female lead. Right. Anyway, and then Last Action Hero. So I think I think he goes back to the Die Hard well because it's a safe bet after the disappointment, box office disappointment of Last Action Hero. Which is a great you movie. Know. Last which we're going to get, yeah, I which love is a Last fascinating, it's so good. fascinating movie. But the point is that McTiernan made three back-to-back -back masterpieces, which, in my opinion, Predator, Die Hard, and and this one in yeah. the action genre. So, yeah, he's definitely doing different things. He's not staying. He's not sticking in a franchise uh, at this point in his career, which is which is yeah, that's pretty true. brave. Yeah, and then I would say that you could argue the stuff that follows Hunt for October is a little more experimental. Right in terms of the medicine, and medicine man is not like a down the line thriller. It's it's a little bit of it has a little bit of that like Mosquito Coast DNA. Right, in it, right, right. Good movie. Mosquito yeah, Coast. yeah, yeah. But like a little more. Again, maybe not culturally sensitive, but like he was not making movies about cops anymore. And in fact, when he would return to that with Dart of the Vengeance, but before that, 
Last Action Hero, I think, is a couple years before Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yes. Last Action Hero is like a very self-reflexive movie, obviously. So it's it's interesting where he kind of went with his career. I can't wait for us to get into place Last Action Hero and all the Shakespeare and all of the meta uh, elements of it in, in the wider context of McTiernan's... Uh, is, uh, well, because he's a Shakespearean and... guy. If I may, can you indulge me? Please. Claudius, you killed my father. Big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do here. Schwarzenegger doing Shakespeare. That's, that's the vibe that we're... It's a very classy pod. It's a classy pod. What's your relationship to this movie? So my first memory of it were... I, I, would, I guess I would have been eight or nine years old when I... Uh, but I actually do remember seeing the trailer mm. and being like... And I, I was trying to work out, was it what movie would I have been watching? Because I was trying to think, could it have been Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Because I remember oh, going to see that. Great movie. Probably not because the timings wouldn't work out. It doesn't really matter. But what I remember is I'm being exposed to a lot of kid-friendly you know, yeah. movies at that time. I'm pretty young. But I remember distinctly seeing this trailer, which I think is one of the most exciting it's trailers tra- I rewatched ever. it. It's really good. The original good. trailer with the, the way it, it cuts between the action and a radar screen with the blip getting closer and closer to the center, yes. which gives it this incredible sense of rhythm and proportion. And it's just so exciting. And I remember just distinctly thinking like, this film looks so exciting yeah. and realistic and just not different to what you were typically seeing. And we're kind of going to get into the how this really created a sort of subgenre of the techno thriller. Yeah, know. talk about the techno thriller. Well, I mean, that's how Tom Clancy's novels were defined. And I would say, like, you know, there's Michael Crichton to some extent. Yep. Have that essentially, it's detail, very detail-oriented um, thriller stories that might be in the spy world or to some extent, you know, perhaps science fiction, but, but generally, like, grounded, realistic um, stuff that is very... Uh, uh, focused on minutia and and accurate, you know, detailed accuracy. There's a great quote from Alec Baldwin on the um, on the documentary where he says that Tom Clancy could describe a government issue pencil in three pages. <laughs> <laughs> And the book He's is the pretty... He's the Dostoyevsky of, of, of indeed, bureaucracy. Indeed. So essentially, yeah, super, super detail-oriented. Because I think this with this movie lays the foundation, obviously, for all the rest of the um, the Jack Ryan series, which, we'll, you know, which we'll talk about. Monster, but also, monster in the 90s, those absolutely, movies. Absolutely, yeah. Huge, huge, huge cultural uh, cultural impact. But I think, I, I think there's an argument to say that this lays the foundation for a lot of Tony Scott's work in this space. Mm. Enemy of the State, of course, Crimson Tide, Spy game um and the born movies to some extent which oh, I, I love think the born hyper realist you know kind of t- technical uh detail very very accurate a different we're moving away from the uh the fantasy of james bond and more into the real a realistic look at the world of of espionage and the post well, post cold war kind of like thaw like the yeah the, the glass nose stuff like this is this is like enacted like a terrible cost on people and like we can't kind of goof off with these. I would say this movie's perched somewhere in the middle, as you pointed out, but yeah. there's some seriousness to it, I think. Yeah, and, and it's also interesting you mentioned the Cold War thing because it's what well, Connery almost didn't do the movie because he was faxed the script, well, like at late notice, and he didn't get the cover page that said this took place uh, in before, 90, the, before the Cold War because he was confused. He was like, well, we're, we're, we're at, like, Glasnost now we're we're you know perestroika you know yeah. we're, the Cold War is over why are we telling a story that's sort of inflaming Russian and American tensions and the, but the, thank God that's the, not a problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yes, it, 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 that 
the Cold War context is very important to this because it's actually it's looking back. The movie's made in 1990, but I believe set in 1984. Well, to your point about techno thrillers, and I don't have the text in front of me, but this film opens with a digital map of like you know in that classic almost video game style where uh, like the continents are defined by a green line and the ocean and the the, the 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 continents look the same and there's a still that's like in 1984 a typhoon class Soviet submarine, um, what is it uh, like sort of uh, uh, un- de- what's the word I'm looking for here like it, it came came up uh, near the Grand Banks mm. um, it was called the training exercise but according to both American and Soviet mm. uh, officials none of what you're about to see ever really happened and like. There's no greater way to start a movie. Yeah, it's a great. It's hook. like Fargo. It's a little bit of that, like this is based on a right. true story sort of thing. False and you're, mythologizing yeah. of history, which yeah, is yeah. so exciting. Yeah. And like every time that happens, I get like goosebump city. If a movie starts with like this, never really, you know, the yeah. it's just it's such an exciting. But movie yet to happen. it's so because the film is so at least creates the. Um, perhaps the, the the illusion of being incredibly realistic, and I think it is yeah. pretty pretty darn realistic. Um, you do buy that this could have happened. A hundred percent. It's really rooted in real life. Yeah. And you know, the other name that comes onto this paper that I think is really interesting. Certainly not all of his movies, but Michael Mann, whose Definitely. masterpiece Heat is like incredibly technical and precise, and train those guys how to really shoot rifles and what a gun what a gun battle would look like if it played out on the streets of LA in 1995. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, absolutely. And I, I think sort of Michael Mann was on his own kind of techno thriller track with like you know with Thief and then Manhunter and then but then certainly Heat and Miami Vice yeah. and and his last film uh last Black film Hat. Black Hat. I was, love Black Hat. It's an interesting companion piece to this sort of espionage techno thriller mm-hmm. uh world. It, I think it, I think this movie showed that audiences actually had a thirst for intelligent um, detail-oriented stories that just drop you in a world that you don't necessarily understand, and they trust you to keep up rather than spoon-feeding, you know, spoon-feeding you uh, every step of the way. It, it, I think it's an important film for that. This was a big hit in terms of box office because it, it proved that audiences were hungry for for movies that actually were, um, you know, in, intelligent. Absolutely, you know, and and just I want to come back to the. When we when we get into our anatomy of an action movie section, I want to get into like how tom- how complicated and yet how simple like the plot of this movie yes, actually it's is. Both. Which yeah. it really is both at the yeah. same time. Um, I love submarine movies. I think they're great. So tell me about that. Like, where does that come well, from? Well, you know, Your it's funny. I think be- well, so this movie specifically was a movie that I did not see in the theater. I was probably a little too young to see. I was probably eight or eight when it came out, but I remember renting it. I remember it being on TV and I remember it being like among the first five DVDs I bought. So, which included things like Snake Eyes, The nice. Rock. Nice. Snake Eyes Rules. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of big action movies. And I remember th- there, I only had a few DVDs. Out of Sight was an early DVD mm-hmm. I bought. So I would rewatch things a lot. And I think that The Matrix, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I sort of started to Late think. Late 90s. Yeah. 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 I, I sort of started to think about filmmaking. Fight Club. Sorry, I'm just going to keep thinking of movies. <laughs> what but, else did you have yeah, in the, the collection? In, the I insider, need to know. <laughs> the insider. Yeah. Uh, but like, I would because I didn't have a ton of Blu-rays I, or, or DVDs. Yeah. I would rewatch these. You know, after school, I would sure. throw one on. So like, I've probably seen, for example, the first hour of the Hunt for October fifty times. Yeah. I've probably seen the second hour twenty times or whatever. Right. So they're they're ingrained into me, and I I also think that like it's hard to talk about the Hunt for October without talking about if we're talking about submarine movies, 
Crimson Tide. Yeah. Which yeah. I just think is like a, a total, totally perfect action masterpiece. Well, Crimson, Crimson Tide does not exist without this without right. without this proving that you can make an expensive film with you know with with a big star and in case of Crimson Tide two big stars that the that the mainstream audiences will will embrace. Exactly. You know? And the um, the other thing that's interesting about submarine movies is that essentially a submarine movie and I think you'll you'll I wonder your thoughts on this um, are essentially plays. Well, absolutely. And uh, yeah. it's funny I was thinking about how with this with this incredible cast you could mount a a Shakespearean production, yeah. you know, with, with, I mean, it's, it's the cast is so crazy and they all feel like they come from um, a sort of classy theatrical tradition, you know? It's real actors um, doing real work. Yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. International and, cast, you know. Yeah. Um, they def it, it is like a play. It's it, what I th what I think is fascinating about submarine movies and just sub the submarine as a context, you know, which leads us into our anatomy of an action movie, the premise. Submarine, can one of the most terrifying places... Imaginable. imaginable, yeah. In one of the most terrifying places imaginable, which is you know, the, in in underwater in the ocean, being hunted. So you're in a cl inherently claustrophobic setting, which is its own challenge. Then you've got if you you can't go outside because you'd be in deep pressure water, which is its own nightmare. And you've got other in this instance and in most submarine stories, other submarines hunting you. You can die you in about see. eight million ways. You yeah, can't, you can't see them. See you, them. Can them. you can't even hear. make a sound on these things. Yeah. They're like. From the research that I was studying about it, when they when the actors went on the real submarines, they said basically it's like a library. You know, everyone's yeah. just soft voice, quiet. It's it must be. I don't know how anybody does it. I can't know. imagine. And I think what that also does for an action movie is it inherently creates a pressure cooker. Exactly. You know, like. Um, but more than that, you can't rely on shootouts. <clears throat> you can't rely on chases. You can't rely on some of the tropes. So this movie relies on mystery, on subterfuge, on um, on imagining things outside of the what we can visually see, and I think that that's exceptionally cinematic. You know, we'll get into this when we talk about. I want to save this for when we get into the action movie, but I just I think that the reason I I uh, if it feels actor first, and that's a rare thing. It feels actor and dialogue. It's a drama. First. It's a drama. It's a drama. It, yeah. At the center of all this is a is a human drama right with it with a fantastic in a fantastical um war context with huge stakes and huge scale but there's also um a human intimacy going on between between the characters and and, and in close proximity and i think that that makes me reflect a little bit on tom clancy tom clancy it's like hard to overstate we're gonna sound like old guys but it's hard to overstate like for me like tom clancy i wasn't a big tom clancy reader but like there's three movie three movies that really define some of my taste in like the early to mid nineties, and it is The Hunt for October, Patriot Games, and Clear and Present Danger. Yeah. All action movies, but all movies with a character, a lead that you like, a smart lead, a thoughtful CIA analyst, played by an actor in both cases who knew how to turn it down and focus on their intelligence and their like analytical brain rather than being action heroes. So the action almost seems like a, this is for the hero se section, I think. Sure. But yeah. I just think that like they defined a kind of thoughtful action movie yeah. that I really, really love and, and candidly wish like there was more of now. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very, it's very significant in, in that regard. And I think it's important that, this film was a, a box office hit, and that it, that, that it um, showed that these, this kind of material could 
could engage the mainstream. Yeah, you don't feel talked down to or overly ex- overly explained to or any of the like traditional, you know, it feels like a smart... Ex- watching this movie feels like you're you using like you've your brain. You feel like you got a little smarter having watched it. For actually. sure. Like, you know. Feels like a great way to segue into our Anatomy of an Action movie. Sure. So, Phil. Yes. You're a- <laughs> yes. <laughs> your Anatomy of an Action movie has one, two, three, four, five, six categories. Yes. I'm going to yes. list them for okay. folks that haven't 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 um, yeah, yeah. and then I want you to start the the uh the academic lecture that is the end of the movie in a very good <laughs> yes. way. I'm now bored. No, no. We have our premise, story, plot, all those things. We're going to group them all together. Our hero. Let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about the hero. Our villain or villains. Mm-hmm. And the villain can be the sea or war itself. The ticking clock, the thing that makes the movie move. And th- this this ha- this movie has some great ticking clocks. Oh stuff. yeah, it has an abundance. The action I feel like that explains itself. Though action is a fun thing to debate and the humor of the movie. So those are the six categories we're going to talk about in our in our section, Anatomy of an Action Movie. Professor Gawthorne, please kick us <laughs> off with the premise. Well, yeah. So the premise of this movie, as you said, this is both, this, it's, it's deceptively, it's both simple and complex. The simple version is Soviet submarine captain Marco Ramius takes this new nuclear submarine, Red October, out on its maiden voyage, and his behavior suggests he may have gone rogue. But the CIA analyst Jack Ryan believes that this enigmatic figure of Ramius actually intends to defect, and as the world teeters on the brink of war, he must convince the US military that Ramius' intentions are not hostile and help get his sub to safety. That actually isn't that that simple, is it? It sounded simple. But basically what we have is a sort of A to B movie. Get this sub through the gauntlet of the Russian and US naval forces to a safe haven. That's the sim- that's the simple version of it. But within that, the, me- the individual mechanics are incredibly complex. So it has a kind of very clear thrust with very clear stakes. Yes. Um, um, and but yet the individual components are filled with nuance and, and minutia, and it's constantly moving, and our loyalties are shifting. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's interesting because it's it's clear, it's straightforward, but yet it immerses you with its um, attention to detail. Yeah, and I want to come. I think that's a great description. And there's a lot of other things going on. The this submarine uh, has what's called a caterpillar drive, which means it can run silent and run deep mm-hmm. to reference another submarine mm-hmm. movie um and 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 there's a great sequence where uh ryan is talking to uh, an uh, a sort of submarine head and he talks about how during the cuban missile crisis mm. uh you know someone parked a submarine off the coast of florida and they built a bomb shelter and now the in this film it's like someone could plant a warhead off the coast of Washington and New York and no one would know anything about it till it's over. Like yeah. it, it, he literally says a couple of hundred warheads, warheads right. you know, because of the stealth capability of the Red October. And this is where this movie is a drama because you have this line, the world teeters on the brink of war. But what's great about this movie is you never see like a nuclear holocaust. You never, you never have a moment where like they spend a ton of money to make an effect that doesn't quite like land. It's all in glances. It's all in conversation. It's all in the way that people talk to each other. And this is kind of what I think we mean. We talk about like, this is kind of a chamber drama. It's also an action movie. It's all rooted in watching actors act because it's really expensive and hard to do cool submarine stuff. What you can do really well is have Tim Curry's anxious face Mm -hmm. or, uh, the, you know, Alec Baldwin shaking on a C-130. Like it's all, really rooted in understanding the stakes 
through performance and through as an action. And that's what I, it's why I think I love this movie is it, you could almost cut out some of the more action-y elements of it, particularly out the submarine stuff, and it would be as impressive an achievement. Another thing that I love about this movie, to come back to that, is that it's also all, it's about as much about small moments as big moments. One of my favorite storylines in this movie is Courtney Vance as Jonesy, the seaman, hearing something in the audio, and we, uh, throughout the first, like say 30 minutes of the movie, we keep cutting back to him listening. We keep cutting back to him trying to figure something out. And then he gets to present an argument to Scott Glenn. Look, I'm hearing this sound. This is where I last heard it. If I draw on the map, I can tell you that this thing is heading for Thor's twins. And they're going to go through and they're going to end up at the, the Grand Banks or whatever, whatever it is. And the, Scott Glenn says, let's plot a course to go to the, mm -hmm. the, the Grand Banks. And you see Jonesy go, like he decompresses because... He's kind of the hero of the movie. If he doesn't make that determination, they're not there when the Red October surfaces. And so you feel caught up in the dramas of characters that aren't Marco Ramius, that aren't Jack Ryan, and you feel it's an ensemble movie on Absolutely. some level as well. And Courtney B. Vance was actually, a, at the time, was a theatrical actor who was not interested in doing movies, but McTiernan persuaded him to, to do this. And he, McTiernan talks about that on the, on the commentary. So yeah. that, that, those theatrical roots are, are there. Well, you can tell that all these guys are incredibly um, you know, muscular, yeah. strong. I've seen uh, Courtney Vance do Shakespeare. He's, yeah, he's exactly. incredible. He's so, so, so good in, in this, all they, these they, this, this cast could easily mount a, a Shakespearean production, a Chekhov production, you know, uh, Great. You, you name it. The cast um, of Hunt for October presents Coriolanus indeed. or Julius Caesar. I yeah, would watch the hell out of that. Are you yeah. kidding? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think there. It's just such a. It's such an exciting, exciting movie and, and really driven. And actually, and this is where we could get into it a little bit. I think when it tries to do some more traditional action things in the second half of the film it loses a little bit of momentum for me. Hmm. Once, And I still think it's great, but once they board the Red October, I'm a little bit more like, oh yeah, we got a mole, or we have a, a saboteur on the right. boat, they shoot at each other. Like I remember that being a bigger deal than it actually ends up being in the movie. And I, I yeah, I think that the movie for me, and I, I think it's a, a masterpiece, but it works the best in the, in the moments of absorbing tension rather than releasing tension. Like, mm. Uh, you know, and I think this is maybe an opportunity to segue into our hero Let's and do jumping it. right into Jack Ryan. But there is a moment in this movie that really stuck out to me in the context of what we're doing on this podcast. Because there is actually a John McClane moment in this movie. Mm. There's, there's two things that I think are really John McClaney. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Can I present them? Please. Please. One is... The a fly in the ointment, a pain in the ass in this movie is just, I'm an analyst. Like, I'm just, I'm a sure, guy who's like, sure. I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I'm not, I'm not the guy that boards the yeah, He didn't choose the this October. Right. situation. He's an, he falls a, into it by circumstance. And I love how the first thing we see in the movie is all of his, like, nerdy warship stuff in his yeah. house. And he's, like, wearing this cardigan sweater and, like... He's an academic. He's yeah. an academic. He's a, he's a thinking man. Yeah. And I love that a thinking man has to take action. I think that's a really exciting thing. But the second thing 
is later on in the film, he's chasing down the saboteur, the guy who is trying to, the KGB agent who's trying to stop the Red October from defecting. There's a whole side of this movie that's that, that we didn't get into, the espionage stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, Baldwin is crawling on a platform or... Right, yeah. And he, sort of steel grates. Uh, and he essentially does, I don't remember what he says, but he essentially does the equivalent of come out to the coast, we'll have a few laughs. 100%. And it it struck me as so John McClane. And I'm curious, like, what your thoughts... Does it? Does that moment work for you? It's... I actually found <laughs> that part of it... So, you know, we talked about the Shakespearean nature of this and, you know, McTiernan's... The Shakespearean influence on it. But what we have with um, Jack Ryan is, is a hero that soliloquizes. Yeah. soliloquies. It, it, and he does... It's cleverly done. I find it very believable when he does it in... Earlier on, he's in the shower on the... On the uh, Fred Dalton Thompson's uh, aircraft Ugh, Fred carrier. Fred Dalton Thompson. Shout out to... FDT. One of the one of the great one of the great McTiernan. What a, what a 1990 he had, by the way. Yeah, Days one, of Thunder, Die Hard 2, and wow. uh, for October. October. And, and there's then a became few a U.S. senator. That's right. It was after he has big senator vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big senator vibes. <laughs> big senator energy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, okay. So yeah, he so he like when it, it, it's I think it's very believable when he is processing his thoughts and he's saying, okay, so how do you get a crew? off the nuclear Yes, I submarine. love it. I love that. I find that very believable. I do that to my... I do that sometimes in when the I'm shower, trying to like, sure. get out of... <laughs> just trying to... When you're trying to get out of your out of own head. Like, right, you're trying course. to sort of get out of your own head and kind of quantify it. And I believe that as like a problem-solving strategy. I think when it gets to the point where he is crawling along the steel grate yeah. and he's doing a Sean Connery impression um, and he literally says, like, most things around here don't react well to bullets. You know, That's that good. type of thing. I, my Connery's pretty weak, so... Uh, uh, we can all take a swing at it. Do <laughs> it with the, when he's speaking Russian. <laughs> Just put a little top spin yeah. on that impression. Uh. Yeah. So I find that bit a little bit like almost outside the tone of the mo- that is exactly. because we're the stakes are so high in this situation. He's literally going to you have a saboteur who is trying to blow up this ship with them all on it. We've got, you know, the specter of nuclear war in the background. Is that the time to be making sort of self-reference? Yeah. It, that was the one moment where it was like a I had a slight ooh, that tone feels very much like you're almost cribbing from what was successful about Die Hard was the humor. Yes. Of course humor can be and we'll, we'll talk about that in the humor section but can be a great way to Diffuse tension, remind the audience, hey, this is still fun. We're still enjoying the movie. Well, let's talk about the humor then. Why not just talk about it now? Do you think that I don't... Yeah. There's some funny moments in this movie, but they all seem to need... So first of all, let me jump back. I agree with you 100%. That moment really pulled me out of the movie. And I have some thoughts about the... And we can talk about it in the hero segment. We're jumping around a little bit here. But I don't really think this is a particularly funny movie. And I don't no, necessarily no. need it to try to be funny. I no. actually appreciate that the humor comes out of, like, Baldwin being like, Son of a bitch! And all the senators being like, Do you have something to add, oh, Mr. Oh, I was Ryan? Dying, I was dying to do, do it, that do impression it. you beat me to it. it. No, you have to do it. <laughs> it's like Hannibal Lecter-esque. Like, I'm going to cue you. Yes, please. Son of a bitch! <laughs> You have something to add, Dr. Ryan? You are uncanny. <laughs> Apparently that's an Indiana accent uh, that he, that really? he does. I don't know if anyone can speak to the authenticity of that accent, but I, I, I love... 
I love him in it. It's He's very, great. it is very Hannibal Lecter yeah, level, that's true. like yeah, uh, that's true. chomping the scenery with the accent. But that character needs to be vivid. He's very, um, and very because strong. you're in a room of, of, of like suits, and you know, we, we this character needs to be a little bit the volume turned up on him to stand out. Right. So it, it, for me, that 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 does work. Well, um, and there's funny moments. Like one of the funny moments in the movie is the early Paglia- Paganini right. Pagliacci stuff. Right. Uh, it's funny because it's like rooted in like these are one of the things I wrote down about this movie just as a note was competent people doing their jobs, which and, is very Michael Mann, by the way. Yes. Like and something just I wanted to bring that up just not to cut you off, but the, it's something that I think Michael Mann proved and has doubled down on, which is that audiences like watching really smart people be really good at their jobs. Yep. Um, Manhunter has that in spades. Heat has that in spades. Most of his work does. Yeah, no, I think it's, um, it's almost everything. The Insider, like, yep. uh, yeah, no, he really believes that, like, audiences are smart and people are competent. Yeah. And he wants to reinvent. And this movie and does that, too. Fun, it's fun to watch people be really, really good at their jobs and then throw them in conflict. Right. No, 100%. And it's like the humor, and that's humor that's rooted in, in actual people i mean tim curry is really funny in this movie you'll get the order of lenin for this yeah. captain and it's like <laughs> yeah. the humor in that situation yeah. again it's dramatic irony it's yeah. mctiernan yeah. the dramatist being like tim curry is kind of a dunce he doesn't understand what's going on yeah. he's really funny in the scene again there's a scene where interestingly enough the kgb guy Putin, is murdered by sean connery and connery's like i'm gonna take both both missile keys and yeah. tim curry's like you can't do that. Yeah. And it's funny. He's so good because the, the humor is in the power dynamic and the fact that Connery is just kind of yeah. fucking with him. Yeah. I, I think the best humor in this movie comes from character. I agree. I think, you know, Connery has this inher- like dry wit that is just intrinsic to him. So he, the way, for example, when he's like, I give us one chance in three while he's just eating <gasps> his dinner, things like things like Anatoly, that, you know, just, just you're kind afraid of afraid of our fleet. Yeah, it, it, it's, it doesn't need to do what that moment with Baldwin is doing in, when he's steal, coming on the steel grate, which is almost winking at the audience and reminding them, like, hey, we're, we're in a movie. It's okay to have fun. Yeah. Um, it was the one moment where I just felt a bit of a tonal skid. But, there, yeah, I had Tim Curry being just a low-key delight in the humor and Rick DeCumman's hilarious cameo. Um, but for the most part, it's not. It's not a funny movie and it doesn't need to be. I don't, I don't always need to be made to laugh. And actually, I find... The trend today with spectacle action, yeah. blockbuster stuff is so winking at the audience. And glibish. Uh, glib. that, yeah, just the, the, the sense of detached irony. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it's I want to be swept up in the movie. I don't want you yeah. to be constantly reminding me it's a movie. I know it's a fucking movie. I'm here eating I my popcorn. I paid my $18. I'm not confused yeah. about that I'm in this reality, but I want that's part of what goes on psychologically is to be swept up in it. Don't constantly take me out of it. To me, I it's agree. breaking that. Um, so I don't need, don't get me wrong, like a, you know, a lot of movies that we've talked about, Die Hard especially, Lethal Weapon, they have a great sense of humor, but they feel appropriately placed within the tone and context of It's the rooted story. in the reality of the yeah. story. Let's talk about our heroes. Yes. But we, I feel like in a podcast- Heroes about, plural. Exactly. And I feel like in a podcast about Hunt for Red October, we haven't talked about arguably the greatest thing about the movie- Sean Connery. Mr. Sean Connery. Oh my! Is this a like a top ten movie star performance of all time? I'll I'll say this: if from the opening shot, the opening shot of the movie, or or the opening <sighs> sequence of the movie begins with a close up of Sean Connery's eyes scanning the this frozen Russian landscape in in the water as the the Red October is about to depart. And to me, what it made me think of was like this is like a Rorschach 
painting. Yeah. Where the first time you watch it, you're not necessarily sure what he's thinking, but it's such it's so layered with subtext that he could be thinking about like, I'm leaving my motherland. Yeah, that's what my I thought. My wife has died. Um, I, this is I'm about to go on a very very perilous journey. He's already effectively burned his ship because he's we know he sent the letter to to Moscow, in saying his uh, we don't know that but yet. But these are things effect. that these yeah. are things that enrich the performance when you look back at it. Do you see there's so much complexity in his eyes in that shot, and McTiernan trusts that, and Connery is just just has this you know just star wattage and and extraordinary acting talent that we sometimes forget you know because he's he is a truly amazing actor as well as being an amazing movie star and he you believe that the crew would follow him you believe that the officers would follow it takes an actor i think to have of, of someone who has that much gravitas to make a story like this work believable it has to be like this is a guy that you would go it, this guy is going to go through hell, an underwater hell, and it needs to be believable that people would follow him. Yeah. And Sean Connery has that in spades. And McTiernan's so smart. So originally it was a different actor. He came in, um, it's incredible. He came in like four days before, requested one day of rehearsal. But the movie does two things. It relies on his extraordinary acting ability. It relies on his star wattage. And it also relies on our relationship to Sean Connery as a veteran of movies, because we instantly believe him as a guy who has spent 40 years like fighting the fight and maybe was a true believer and is set now so disillusioned by, you know, it's interesting the film never really gets into his politics, but what it does get into through his eyes, through his looks, through his like weary resignation of mm. like the country that I'm, it's interesting that he's not Russian. Right. He's the Vilnius schoolmaster. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that we, we never hear him be like, I hate the Soviet Union or I, I, you know, I, I don't believe in communism anymore. What, it's just all, it's all rooted in the performance. There is an interesting section in the book that which talks explicitly about his motivations and about how it, the death of his wife was a sort of chain of causality that was all a series of failures of the Soviet state, like in terms of the medical profession, in terms of, um, you know, just a, a, a kind of confluence of circumstances that all let he was like a victim of the culture and a victim of politics um and, and the you know just various kind of institutional failures wow um so it, it the movie touches on that the book go the book has a whole section of it that really you totally understand how his motivations are it's brilliant because it's both emotional and personal it's also ideal ideological right um so that was a very the movie does touch on that he taught he, he Obviously, the death of his wife is significant, and that's something that Jack Ryan cracks into. Because Jack Ryan's sort of an amateur psychological sleuth, isn't he? With yeah. the, the way that he works out his motivations, the anniversary of his wife's death. That scene, Baldwin's um, incredible in the scene where he where he reasons yeah. through. We'll get to Baldwin, but incredible, incredible scene. But I think it, it is an interest. What's interesting about this film is the fact that we we have two heroes, but the first, the second hero, the Ramius character of Sean Connery that we're talking about now. We don't know. The first time you're watching it, you're not sure if he's the hero because one of the first things he does, as you mentioned, is, mur is murdered a, a fellow officer, the, the, the KGB officer. Um, and so for the first act, where if you're going in completely cold, you don't know anything about this movie, you're not sure if Ramius is a good right. guy or a bad guy. We think he could be the antagonist. I think probably the casting of Sean Connery versus the other actor um, somewhat negate you, you probably know that okay he's probably not going to be a villain yeah he's not going to be like you a, know but, he is, but he's a murderer but he does do something yeah. pretty he 
personally murder somebody. It's one of the know? only deaths in the film. I mean, yeah. actually, there's how many it's people? Pretty, die? Two people. It's pretty die nasty. In movie? Not that many. There's no more than guy, that. There's the guy. There's yeah. Well, there's the cook. Skarsgård's sub. Yeah, uh, gets exploded. But there's also, in terms of like people that we see personified on screen, I think it's really only him at the beginning, and then the other KGB agent at the end. And um, Sam Neill. Oh, of course, and, and it's, Sam it's Neill. Incredible in this movie. So what much, a, so much great. to say about it him. It would have been better if you had not informed Moscow. <laughs> <laughs> um, very quickly. Yes. Uh, I think Connery is the hero of this movie. In some ways, I think you know he. Well, we'll we'll get there. I'm I'm, I'm jumping ahead, and I don't no, need no, to. Go for it. The last thing I want to say about Baldwin uh, before we move on, who I think part of that humor thing that we talked about, where he kind of does the soliloquy, and like we have that moment in the film where he's sort of doing the come out to the coast, have a few laughs. That is Baldwin twenty years later, mm. and this is a really interesting Baldwin performance because, as you said when we were talking about this movie, he changed his career after this. He didn't want to yeah. be the like charming, charismatic. Or just not even charismatic, though he is charismatic. He didn't want to be the leading man. He didn't want to be an action hero. He wanted to be a character actor, and he wanted to be funny. I mean, he's a comedian now, right, mm -hmm. on some level. and But he leans into his later career persona here. It's like a, the first sort of viewing of it. And it's interesting how it does not jive with the rest of the performance in the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because he's the hero, but in that moment, you're kind of like, what are you, what are you doing? And by the way... It's hard not to talk about the last scene of this movie where they're in uh, where they're they're sailing into Maine and they have a brief conversation yeah. about how yeah. Baldwin grew up in Maine and it's a great ending. I love that. It's I so love quiet. the dialogue exchange yeah. and the last line of the movie welcome to the new world you know it's just such a what that is a profound concept yeah. that, that has echoes in through 19, time. 1990 you know? Or, you know and yeah for sure um, it's a complex idea. It's also a very, it's an emotional idea. Yeah. And it, to me, that was just what a beautiful note to end this symphony on again. A human you know? moment. It's a yeah. human moment. You know, it's, it's a. But it's also thematic. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, it is a thematic historical, moment. You know. Yeah. And um, complicated from a historical perspective. Yeah. For sure. Um, Oh man, this movie rules! <laughs> I love this movie. <laughs> Just can't get so it is so good. A <laughs> um, couple other quick heroes: Scott Glenn oh, doing yeoman's gosh. work as a as the as Bart Mancuso. Great name, by yeah, the way, Bart yeah, Mancuso. Yeah. Uh, James Earl Jones yep. as Admiral Greer. I would be remiss if we Phenomenal. did not mention him. Let's talk about, and of course, Courtney B. Vance yeah. as Seaman Jonesy, my hero of the movie. I just appreciate that the hero of the movie is a sound intellectual. I, yeah. I felt seen by the... By oh, I see. Oh, I, I, <laughs> now it's making sense. Okay. <laughs> the hero of the movie is a sound intellectual. Right, right, right. Let's talk about some villains. Yes. There are great actors in this movie who have played villains. Mm -hmm. But this is not a movie of villains, I feel like. Not really. It's it's an unusual one in the sense there that it sort of breaks the paradigm because we have two heroes and not and we don't have one specific uh villain. There is no there is no Hans Gruber type character, there is no Tommy Lee Jones in Under Siege, there is no like vivid, uh charismatic bad guy. What we have is the, the is a more abstract villain, which is the specter of of war or nuclear war. Um there are some specific villains, like the Joss Ackland characters, the right. Rush, the Soviet uh, ambassador, and Stellan Skarsgård, who right. is the, um, the the sort of arrogant sub captain who's after uh, Ramius. Um, but it's more abstract. But yet there are sort of forces of antagonism, like the national security advisor Jeffrey Pell, and then Bart Mancuso, the Scott Glenn character, who who become allies. So it's actually a very unusual um, storytelling paradigm from, yes. from an action movie standpoint. 
That's really interesting because what I was going to say in response to that, and you just added to it, is there are almost like mini villains throughout the movie. Yeah. There is the senator who Jack Ryan lays into when he's like, I actually met Ramius right. at a, at a, the, at a yeah, dinner general, in Moscow. Have Chiefs. you ever yeah, met him? Yeah, the Joint yeah. Chief. And that guy kind of shuts up and disappears. And then there's um, Daniel Davis playing Captain Davenport. Yes. Who's like, what are you, crazy? Like none of this stuff is happening. In the scene where he's yep, with Fred Dalton yep, Thomas, yep. and then Fred Dalton Thomas is like, maybe this guy's a war hero. Yeah, like, give maybe, him a break. maybe yeah, give him a, a break. Marine. And I like that the movie, again, it's, I'm more curious about your perspective, but it feels a little bit like every scene is accounted for in terms of what's the conflict in this scene. Mm -hmm. And so instead of like thinking of it as like a world destroying villain, it's like the enemies, uh, the villains in this movie are the people that do not believe Jack Ryan. Yes, yes. It's much more It's interesting because I was sort of playing out in my head today as well that like if, if Jack, if you play out the beat by beat, um, you know, causality of this story without Jack Ryan, Ramius would die. He wouldn't make it because we get Man some buckaroo. Right. Mancuso, <laughs> the Scott Glenn character, would would kill him if Stellan Skarsgård didn't. Right. It's it it hinged on his plan, and he even said himself, "I'll give us a one in three chance." Ramius says that to his officers. He's sort of comfortable with the with the with the risk factor, right? But without Ryan's in, interceding to convince the the U.S. military that he intends to defect, because how else would they? How else would Ramius have conveyed to the U.S. that he intended to defect? He's told the Russians, and they're going to hunt him down regardless. So without Jack Ryan's X factor in this. Right uh, in this scenario, I don't think Ramius would. Well, there's get that, that extraordinary safely. scene where they're communicating via via yeah. um, what periscope. Yeah. periscope. Periscope. They're pings. doing yeah the pings. Morse code, yeah. And there's Connery again because this great moment where he realizes that he's not talking to a buckaroo. Yeah. And he pauses and looks down and like again. It's like this could work. Great yeah. movie acting because it's all exactly. in the brain. He's thinking it through and we're watching him like he's having the thoughts and we're watching him have the thoughts and it's like, and it the movie has. McTiernan has the respect to hold and hold the shot and know that like we're watching a guy figure something well, out. And that, by the way, is an action movie. That's an action. This movie. is what a, this is what I think is one of the the an intangible factor of a true blue movie star brings us into their heart and soul without words, just by their well expression. Right. You know that, is, and Connery has that, and especially in that scene. You know, so, um, yeah, very unusual. Hero, villain, very it, it, different. It almost feels as though it reflects the, like, post-Cold War reality. Like, there's just no way that, like, you know, like, there are no heroes and villains anymore. There it's all are shade, only, well, it's all morally shades of gray in right, this world, exactly. isn't it? You it's know? more complicated. The world yeah. is more complicated yeah, yeah. now. It's become more complicated. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that makes Clancy successful as yeah. a writer is he, he, helped, he sort of went, like, okay, what is, what is... How can I take like actual world conflict and future troubles well, and turn it into like thoughtful, exciting? Compare action? this to another Paramount military movie that came out four years earlier that we absolutely love, Top Gun. In terms of the, the sophistication of geopolitical, pretty good movie, yeah. amazing movie, right? But it looks looking from to your point about through the political prism, how simplistic yeah. it, it is versus how complex this is. Um, I think is significant, you know, right. like also we're moving to the end of the Cold War era by this point and, and, and so forth. But I, yeah, it, 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 I think it was, my point is, I think it's unusual to show such a nuanced political landscape 
at that time, which tended to be pretty much, we're the good guys, they're, they're the bad, the bad guys. guys. This, this is how Hollywood works, and there's a propagandistic element to it. This this movie is a, is a bit more uh, sophisticated in its portrayals, although some would argue it still reinforces certain... Um, Classic antagonisms. Yeah, sure. to, directed towards the Soviet Union and so forth. But. It's hard not to because of the cultural complexity of that, but I will say the films that follow this one... Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger offer, we've talked about this, offer a similarly nuanced situation on like world conflicts. I mean, Patriot Games does an amazing, I think is one I of the better. Patriot I Games. love Patriot I'm Games. I love Patriot Games. obsessed with it. One of the better movies about Northern Ireland. Yes, I, I think, agree. Especially I think in it's... an action context. It's sympathetic yeah. to, to, to both sides, I think, of the conflict in some ways and realizes it's complicated. And Clear and Present Danger has a complicated relationship to the the drug the war, war on drugs. drugs. Yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. both like, again. And, and the president of the U.S. is a, is the is a villainous figure in Clear and Present Danger. Right. So it paved the way for a more nuanced and sophisticated look at the moral complexities of international politics in mainstream movies. Can we do like a Clancy cast? Yes. Just on just on these. <laughs> yes. I'd like to announce yes, we that we're can. doing ten new podcasts. <laughs> so talking villains. Yes. I, I think we need to cover the the one sort of traditional villain in this movie. Yes. And that is Captain Tupelov. The Stellan Skarsgård. Played by me, Stellan the great Stellan Skarsgård. In an early, yeah, in an really? early role, like pretty young. Incredible. I had an interesting thought about that character that occurred to me, and it, it was really off the back of something that you had picked up on Die Hard, which I was not, I hadn't really tuned into, which was the class element, because it is mentioned that the Skarsgård's character descends from aristocracy. Oh, right. Whereas uh, Ramius, I think he says, was raised by his paternal grandfather who was a fisherman. A fisherman in, in, so, in, in, in Lithuania. So again, we have mm. this sympathy towards a more blue-collar hero and there is a critique of, um, you know, the, the 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 aristocracy, yeah, which is sort of in Die Hard to some extent, with its corporate executives and the and the suspicion of authority and the suspicion of sort of inherited wealth and and what have you, which is a subtle thing, but I thought it was significant that I think especially within the Russian system to yeah. ha also have or the Soviet system that the, there is still an aristocracy, even though it's supposed to be a sort of unifying, um, you know. Uh, everyone is equal, but there is more, equal, some are more equal than others type thing. So I think it was interesting that they made that point that he was descended from aristocracy and it was also Ramius's student. So he, right. he's quite, even though he's not in it much, it's he, quite a, it's quite a dimensional character. He's there. also crazy. Yeah. Like he, they, he's he, hubris personified. He, he understands the assignment. Like you have to be the guy that we know will blow this boat out of the water. I think it's really interesting that there's the teacher-student dynamic because the goal of the teacher is always to over. The goal of the student is always to overtake the teacher, right? And I like how they set them up as like, oh, he taught him everything he knows, and now for Stellan Skarsgård, it's like I have to, I have to capture this. Guy. I have to kill this guy. But he doesn't seem excited about it. He doesn't want to do it. Like, I like that there's this resign, like, fuck. Like, we've got to go. Oh, like, that's interesting that you read it that way. I don't read him as a cowboy. I read him as insane and, like, I have to do what I have to do. But when he first reads the orders, he's like, okay, here we go. I, I It just, it feels a little more complicated in terms of that I dynamic. think there's a bit, I almost feel like maybe, maybe it's a little bit like he's overcompensating. You know, it, it, it's sort of like... He believes he can, his arrogance makes him think he can 
he can do this, but actually it's also maybe sort of uh, balanced out with like some insecurity because he's actually not that good as, as the ending That's kind of proves. That's interesting. Yeah, so, he fucks I up. I mean, Scar's God does a lot with a little, so you know? Good. I mean, he's just obviously he's incredible. One of the great cigarette actors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. And like, yeah, it's, you, you're that. like that guy smokes 400 yeah. cigarettes a day. On a submarine, no less. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine? I would be really annoyed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I great villains, but I think you're right. The villain of this movie is ultimately war itself. Yeah. And the and I think, you know, to your point about aristocracy and, and the fishermen, I think one thing that's faded probably from our lives in watching this movie is our understanding of the geopolitical situation in the late 80s, early 90s in, in, in the world and how like, some some of this some of this feels a little little more abstract than it would if we were seeing the sure. movie when it came out. Yeah, you can almost. I mean, it's weird because things have come full circle. But probably in the intervening decades, you could enjoy this vicariously. Um, now it's pretty close to home, and at the time, I think it would have been pretty close to home. But although it, it, things were kind of you know uh, winding down in terms of the Cold yeah. War in 1990, but um, it's an interesting historical document for sure in terms of its geopolitical portrayals. That's great. The ticking clock. Well, it's interesting because, you know, the, some of the movies we've been doing um, haven't licensed to kill, didn't really have a, a ticking clock. Roadhouse's ticking right. clock was somewhat, uh, you know, was was pretty was pretty weak uh, towards the end. Um, this has at least three that I could Give identify. Them to me. Well, one is, will Ramius make it to the safety of the U.S. before either Soviet or U.S. military take him out? Another is, can Ryan convince the military that Ramius is really defecting before they attack? Uh, they're somewhat connected. And then will this will this situation escalate into a full-on war or even a nuclear confrontation uh, between U.S. and Soviet forces? But there is an inherent ticking clock in the sense, like I said, that the Red October needs to get from point A in the Soviet Union to point B, the, the U.S. waters, right. uh, intact. That is, so like we talked about with Speed or some of these other movies where there's, it's, it's almost intrinsic to the concept, um, it, it, it's pretty cut and dry, but yet within that, there's other, these other sort of uh, other mechanisms going on. Well, I guess it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this as a screenwriter because I think the movie plays with very effectively with what you know when you know it. And, you know, if we don't know, for example, we don't know Ramius's motivations at the beginning of the right. film. We don't even, we we hear uh, uh, Jack Ryan's speculations about his intent to defect before Connery explicitly says he's going to defect. Mm -hmm. And there's a great scene. This movie's really good on spilling tea, like literally people spilling yeah. their tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's a great scene where uh, the, um, where the Russian... Um, is it the head of state? Is it, I forget who the character is, uh, gets a letter from Marco right, Ramius yeah. and is about to sip his tea and puts it down and then drops his tea mm. because he's reading a letter that says Ramius is going to defect. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't know if that letter says, I'm going to nuke the U.S. Right. or I'm going to defect. It's a classic um, narrative enigma. And this film is filled with them of like delayed gratification technique, essentially, you know, where you're a crit. That was, that's a classic one. A character reads a letter, looks shocked, and then you cut away. And mm -hmm. that those are the kind of things that keep you watching. This is also something that McTiernan, and this is even in his first movie, Nomads, which is available on YouTube and is kind of a bizarre, interesting movie, but his handling, his sure-footed handling of suspense is what led to him getting Predator. It's actually, Schwarzenegger actually talks about it in his autobiography. He says that he could, he was so good at suspense on such a low budget that wow. made it, that convinced us that he would be the right guy for Predator. But you, would, you wouldn't necessarily look at nomads and then go oh yeah he could handle this big Schwarzenegger sci-fi action movie but he is so good at suspense
right? And again, I think so much of his skill comes from the fact that he's like a classic dramatist. He knows when to tell you things. He knows when to keep things from you. He knows how to get good performances out of actors. And he knows how to like, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this movie is just the scene of them, of all of the, the sub of Ramius and his, and his, you know, crew having lunch together and the interpersonal dynamics and how clearly defined every character in that you know scene I mean, that's is the, that's a staple of sort of uh chamber piece drama right. Right? you know the, the family the sort of family mm -hmm. type you know sitting around the dinner table and there's all these you know complicated conflicts what i thought was interesting about that that you mentioned on the commentary was that he kept he keeps the camera in one place so that you feel as an audience that you're at that dinner table you're next to ramius and then you watch all of the crew in a single wide that's yeah. Yeah, like six, it doesn't cut people. around yeah. in terms of where the camera is positioned, so it gives it, it. You feel like you're there. It also does this thing that's very smart, where the shot of Ramius is a two, so you're with Sam Neill, and you're with Marco Ramius, and then you're with the rest of the crew, and so and and he places he places Sam Neill in the middle of that because he's somewhere between the crew. Right. He's the conduit. Yeah, he's the conduit. Poor Tim Curry didn't get to got kicked out of that yeah. meeting. <laughs> we need those sent nuclear on a, tests sent on a, on now? a bullshit, bullshit errand <laughs> yeah, exactly. he was just about to chow down I also just love how he's such like a bourgeois slimy like oh you oh, uh, he we was went to the, the ballet, ballet. Yeah, 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 yeah. you know how beautiful again, she was again the class yep like the they class, don't trust him yeah yeah I guess yeah he, he yeah that's right that's probably partly why he's not one of them right and also uh Putin the KGB agent as an antagonist in the film, the one that yes. that uh, that that Ramius dispatches, there's clearly some tension between them. That's really interesting, as, and him as like a an well, he's an ideologue, isn't he? Right. He's clearly like he's he's almost sort of apparatus of the worst, um, you know, right. the the tyranny of the of the of that political system. He right. embodies it. Also, that actor Peter Firth is well known to. Um, British audiences, because he was the he was the this uh, key character in the show called Spooks, which was a spy oh, yeah. spy yeah. show, BBC sh spy show that was very popular. Um, so great pedigree. Before we move into our oh action, yes, okay. One thing I want to just comment on. Speaking of that sequence, I love the way McTiernan handles language. I think the way that the film begins in Russian. And, and there's a moment where he has Ramius is what I think is a diary. We're talking about Putin. And he starts reading in Russian. He reads this biblical quote uh, from Revelations. And it pushes in on Putin. And he changes from Russian to English. And now you know, as the audience, they're still speaking Russian. But you hear them, you hear them in English. Like he makes a really clear decision as a filmmaker to go like, yeah, you're hearing translate, you know, it's it's translated. And I just think that like the respect that he gives language, he does something similar in the 13th Warrior where Banderas learns to speak the language of the village he's in through a sequence. Like I just, I find that like so thoughtful as a filmmaker because again, it's not simplistic and glib and going like, oh, the Russians are just the bad guys. What he's doing is going like, no, they're speaking this language and, and we're gonna like really make you understand that that the the difference between English and Russian. Uh, what I found interesting film. about that brilliant technique, a couple of things. One is the word the word in which it changes, word in which it pivots, is the word Armageddon, which yes. is obviously the theme of the film and is the same, same in word. both Russian and uh, and English. Um, and uh, also, but he did acknowledge that he uh, he was uh, homaging that te that technique from Judgment at Nuremberg. He actually taken that. I didn't from, know that. Uh, there's apparently there's a scene with Maximilian Schell that does this. The, he, that, that's what inspired him to use that to, to make that choice. Um, that's so, so fascinating. I need to go back and watch yeah. Judgment Nuremberg. Also, one thing that is very smart is that the the 
crew member who first encounters the Americans when they latch onto the ship, when he speaks English, his first few lines are in broken English. Whereas when he spoke in English or spoken English earlier in the film, it's very clear. So he he makes a distinction between Russian that is in English and yes. a Russian speaking English yes. that I think is very very again thoughtful and considerate yeah. of of the the, lang- of the language. Let's talk about the Agreed. action. Let's. Um, let's. let's 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 talk about the action on our action movie podcast. So. Um, this is a chamber drama. I don't think too much about there's the not, action. There's not much. Yeah. And yet it's never anything less than thrilling. Yep. Um, there are a few action sequences that I particularly love. There's the midair torpedo drop where the Soviet oh, plane yeah. drops uh, um, an airbound torpedo that then la- splashes into the ocean and, and, and Ramius has to has to evade it what th- through the underwater canyons. I thought what I get, but again, what I thought was really interesting about that is actually that's a scene about mathematics. He's counting in oh, his head. Yeah, it's. Ha- I mean, if you were to say that, like, how can you make ma- math mathematics? Uh, like thrilling, <laughs> you know, that's not an easy thing to do, but Sean Connery and McTiernan pull it off in that scene because he's basically all counting. Thinking. It's all, yeah, it's all speed, it's velocity, it's turning circles, you know, it's the speed of the torpedo, it's the turning circle of the submarine, it's the amount of, it's the, amount of the gap that they have. It, it's So that was like, again, talk about intelligent action. And grammar. Brilliant. They've taught you how to understand this stuff in this movie. Yes. Uh, and a recent example of this is Top Gun Maverick. It shows you again and again how you get how Maverick can succeed in the mission. So when it finally happens, you feel like educated to understand what's yeah, about to happen. You're never I, confused, even though what's happening is com- complex. Great action filmmaking, I think, sort of teaches you the stakes through some yes. kind of really. I mean, it's a great screenwriting to, thing to think about. How 100%. do you do it? Yeah. The other the other sequence that I absolutely love is Ryan's mid ocean transfer onto the USS Dallas via via helicopter, and um, when he. F- has to he cuts cuts himself loose and falls into the ocean because he realizes that they're the, the, the helicopter pilots don't trust his you know they the, they can successfully get him onto the submarine so he ends up cutting himself loose essentially and and taking a big risk in the hope that a diver is going to going to save him what was interesting about that shot was and again this is why I, I bring up um, McTiernan's debut film Nomads is that shot of somebody falling while looking directly at the camera is is in Nomads. Pierce Brosnan throws a guy off a building. It's very Hans Gruber. Of course, Hans Gruber, the Hans Gruber death is the most iconic one. But then there is a version of this shot uh, that it's very similar, essentially a, a character falling away in real life because Baldwin really did that. And in fact, it was his idea to do that shot, he's, he says on the documentary. He said, wouldn't it be great if we had a shot inside with the cameras inside the helicopter and you actually see me as the actor fall away? Um, that seems to be one of McTiernan's uh, you know, uh, sig- signature shots. I wonder if he's afraid of falling. Because I, I think a lot about this with, with Christopher Nolan and drowning. Clearly, mm. that's something he's like preoccupied by as a fear, is the fear of drowning. So I always wonder when action filmmakers repeat a, a sequence or like when the threat of death is drowning or falling or whatever the case is. Like it, I'm They're always working really curious. Out working, their own, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Obsessions and yeah, fears. it's like how Michael Bay is afraid of dying in an explosion. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Let's, let's give some awards. Okay. Um, the first award is that this movie kicks ass. Let's yes. just give this movie the the action the actiony award for one of the greatest action movies ever made. Um, I will I'll kick off the awards, and I'm I'm going to expect you as the as the the Academy Board giving member, <laughs> brother Mimi. Yeah. The John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for Best Quip. Yeah, it was it was somewhat slim pickings. It's not sure. the most quotable um, movie. 
I had three. Let's um, hear them. Russian, uh, should I do it in a horrible yes, Fred Dalton yes, Thompson yes, accent? Yes, yes, Russians yes. don't take a dump song without a plan. You think that's terrible? That's yeah, so good. That's pretty terrible. Okay. Um, Russians don't take a dump without a plan. Okay. <laughs> that's Rear Admiral Joshua Painter, played by Fred Dalton Thompson. Um, if that bastard so much as twitches, I'm going to blow him right to Mars. Bart Tupelo. Mancuso, Scott oh. Glenn. Um, but my favorite, and I think this is one of the best lines in any movie of this kind. You never hear somebody say this. I'm a politician, which means I'm a cheat and a liar. And when I'm not kissing babies, I'm stealing their lollipops. But it also means I keep my options open. That's the national security advisor, yes. Jeffrey Pelt, played by Richard Jordan. That line was like, that to me speaks to the kind of adult, sophisticated, morally gray uh, worldview that this film has where it's like look the, the we he's not claiming like i'm a i'm a patriot you know i'm like i'm defending america here he's like i'm a piece of shit right i'm a i'm i'm you know an opportunist yep um this is my job let's just be real base it's just like it's so honest and it makes you like him, <laughs> even yeah. though he's saying something that's really shitty. I'm like, that is genius writing. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's the winner. I think it that's has my to be winner. that. I think that's a really great... I think my favorite line in the entire film is, I wish I could have seen Montana. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But well, that's, that's not a quip. That's certainly not funny. That, But that, maybe that leads us into... It does. The Hans Gruber Master Thief Award for stealing the film. Who, Phil, who are our nominees? Our nominees are... <laughs> Sam Neill as Captain Second Rank Vasily Borodin, Tim Curry as Dr. Petrov, James Earl Jones as Vice Admiral James Greer, CIA Deputy Director, Courtney B. Vance as Petty Officer Jones, Sonar Operator, and Richard Jordan as Jeffrey Pelt, the National Security Advisor. Those are my nominees, but please a, add if you... What a rogues gallery yeah. of nominees. Um, I, Who's your pick? I think you're on to it. Um, I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm very torn between Courtney B. Vance as Stephen Jones and Sam Neill as Captain Vasily Borden. I, I think you have to go with Sam Neill. I think both for me personally, but also his next big thing is... This movie gets him Jurassic Park, I think. I think it's it's just very clear that like... This movie made his career something extraordinary. He's extraordinary in this movie. I He's completely so good. agree. I agree. Also because he brings the emotional heart, you know, when his simple dreams of living in Montana and driving state to state without papers. I'm getting a little emotional thinking but that. But that's it. The film yeah. needed a human frailty and vulnerability that was just, he, he does that so well. Spoiler alert. When he when he does get shot, you you really feel for him. It's really tragic. He 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 is the emotional heart of the film to some extent. Right. I also just want to make a correction because in our first episode, I mentioned that Sam Neill was uh, considered for the Hans Gruber part, and I described him incorrectly as Australian. He was born in Omar, Northern Ireland, and worked extensively in Australia, but uh, he grew up in New Zealand and identifies primarily as a New Zealander. So my apologies to Mr. Neil for my mistake and to my Aussie and Kiwi friends for that error. And listen, Sam, anytime you want to come on the podcast, just let Open us know. Open door. What an extraordinary actor. What an actor who, you know, we were talking earlier about how great movie stars, I, you know, we, we identify them, we identify with them through what they do with their face. There's no better actor than that than Sam Neill when you think about the moments in this film, but also Jurassic Park when he sees a dinosaur. And you're yes. like, this guy is yeah. just unbelievable. Um, 
I, I'd like to invent one new award, and that award is the Sean Connery Award for playing Marco Ramius in The Hunt for Red October and stealing my, like, absolutely incredible, like, megawatt movie star performance. Like, I just think we need to reiterate, he had a late career rebirth mm. with this and Untouchables. Yeah, and, and Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh, my God. Last Crusade. He's so goddamn good in Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. And, you know, some of the other movies around that period, like, we don't remember as notably, but, like, what an amazing actor. And, you know, he recently passed away. So I think it's worth pausing and just going, like, talk about a great, 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 great movie star. Yeah. One of no, the great. An icon. The Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Your nominees. Um, Red October's political officer, Ivan Putin, Ooh. played by Peter Firth. Joss Ackland's slippery Soviet ambassador, Andrei Lysenko. Uh, the arrogant and aggressive Captain Tupolev, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Then we've got the saboteur slash cook, Loganoff, Thomas Arana, and your favorite, I think, perhaps, or certainly if someone you, re- you mentioned, the cowardly dissenting Soviet officer Slavin, played by Boris Lee Krutinog. Wow, who's your pick for this? It's hard. Skarsgård. Yeah. I got to just... Respect that. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I, I don't know if I can pick one. Uh, maybe Putin? He's just, he's just, oh, it's just when he goes, you're like, bye. Yeah. Like, he really, that guy does an amazing job. He does an amazing seconds. job of, like, making you be okay with the fact that and, he was just murdered in cold right. blood. And that's what this category feels like. Who's the guy who yeah. shows up for a minute and just sucks? Yeah. Speaking of that, if I can offer a critique of this movie, uh, a small one, but the one woman in the movie, Gates McFadden, like is a total jerk for twenty seconds. Yes, and she's I like kind super of, condescending to like the, the daughter. The, and yeah. I, I, I and the, 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 the I just like I kind of wish they had reshot that moment yeah. because it's the literally the only time a woman talks in this movie, and she's like yells at her kid and is rude to their to their uh, to whoever is working yeah. for them in that moment. And like it doesn't, doesn't endear you to her or it doesn't play well. It's no Ann Archer. Um, yeah, you know. Well, that's what I thought about how Ann Archer in the subsequent movies. Phil, there's so much more consideration put into her as a character. She's a great Granted, character, she's especially in, in Patriot Games. She's yeah. got a really prominent part in She's that. great. And yeah. so, I, I, again, if, that, if I have a gripe, it's that like that moment could have been a lot more interesting yeah. and a lot more nuanced. Um, the best death. Again, yeah, again, as we mentioned, not a ton of not a ton of choice. There is that that the the murder of the political officer Ivan Putin, um, the killing. I think the killing of the saboteur, the the cook, or the undercover yeah. uh, KGB agent, is 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 significant from an acting standpoint, from Alec Baldwin's acting, because in that moment he's like he realizes what he has to do, yeah. and it's a tough. It's a. It's no longer theoretical. It's like I am up close and That's personal good. with a gun in my hand, and I am going to have to take this man's life, or else we're all going to die. I think Baldwin acts that moment beautifully, and then Stan Skarsgård's ironic death at his own hands with his own torpedo. That's a great moment. Arrogant ass, you've killed us. Yeah. <sighs> Uh, I think it's worth just mentioning, even though I don't think we give it to him. Sam Neill's death in this movie is pretty, pretty significant. But it's but, but it's the saddest it's death. The saddest it's the sad death. death. This is about fun death. Yeah, this is about <laughs> <laughs> love a this fun death. This is the language death. of action movies. In that so. case, in that case, well, I would vote for Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah, I, the... I, I agree. It's, it's, it's just a beautiful button on a fantastic sequence of action where you have conflict both inside and outside the sub. But good shout on the Alec Baldwin uh, acting moment. Because yeah. again, we I don't think we've laid into how exceptional he is in this movie. And He's, and he's super. I think the, the common th- cultural idea is like, oh, Harrison Ford took over and the movies got much better. But I, I 
think Baldwin could have done three sequels to this movie, and I if he I would have absolutely one hundred. It kind of plays to all his strengths to some yeah. extent, you know. And he, he comes, he rears as intelligent on screen. He in the, in this era certainly very, you know, he's, he's physical, he's good looking, you know, he's kind of all American. That voice. Um, he has a gravitas that's sort of natural, but isn't, but is also relatable. It, it like it was a. Perfect part for him. And he's kind of a nerd. He's like an eager nerd, and I think it works really, really well. He's great. All right. It's quiz time. Yes. I've got to get quizzed. All right. Our double jeopardy. So I'm, I'm, and I, I really, I, I don't know if it's this is more of a British thing or an American thing, but the Brits, we love a quiz. We love a little quiz. So <laughs> you my, Brits, you love my, a quiz. We love a quiz. We love a pub quiz. We love a bit of where trivia. You, how are you on extra you know? credit? Where do you stand on that? <laughs> um, so um, my hope is that people listening to it at home will like pause it after the question while they're in the car and you know kind of like try and get call the answers. Us, call us. Yeah. Call the answers to us. All, All right. right. So here's number one. Which legendary action screenwriter and patron saint of this show has a blink and you'll miss it uncredited acting appearance in the film? First of all, I love what you're doing with your voice here. <laughs> and that's just a stall so that I can think of the answer to this question. Action screenwriter and patron saint of this podcast. Who is it? Shane Black. Oh, get out of here. Shane Black is so in this movie? So this is kind of crazy. So Shane Black, with whom John McTiernan, of course, worked with before on Predator and will work with again on Last Action Hero, appears very briefly as a crewman on the USS Reuben James, which is the American ship that uh -huh. attempts to board the Red October while they're evacuating the crew. So it's like a frigate. Um, and he has one line of dialogue, which is, he's going down, sir. Um, oh, and Yeah. McTiernan confirms that in the commentary. And if you pause it, you can see Black pretty clearly, although he's wearing a helmet and he's wearing like the large glasses like his Predator character. But it's definitely it's definitely him, and McTiernan confirms it on the commentary. So I'll kind of a weird piece of trivia. I'll tell you, I'm more embarrassed that I didn't realize that that was the patron saint of this podcast. And it's... Uh... Well, it's not my it, it, for many reasons, but, you know, Shane Black came up with the title Die Hard. Yeah. You know, so pretty good, pretty good title. He's, he's definitely pretty uh, good title for that game. The Nice Guys, currently on Netflix, P perfect movie in my opinion. We love you. We love you. We Shane. love you, Shane. Um, number two. Number two. This is a little, little easier, I hope. Um, I don't know. I'm embarrassed myself. In this <laughs> no, category. that's okay. I feel bad putting you on the spot, but no, it's fine. This is for our listeners as well. All right. Can you name all five actors who have played Jack Ryan on film and TV? Alec Baldwin. Yep. Harrison Ford. Yep. Ben Affleck. Yep. Chris Pine. Yep. Is the other one on TV? Okay, give me a hint. What's the, what does he, oh, ja, uh, John Krasinski. Correct. Thank you. Well wow. done. I uh, I have not seen much of the late Jack Ryan stuff, but I should I should definitely check it out. Also, Kenneth Branagh directed it. Directed, yeah. That's wild. Speaking of Shakespeare, Shakespeare and Jack Ryan go yeah. together like- uh, I love Kenneth Branagh. Carrot and peas. Love the guy. Uh, is there any more questions? I have one more uh, while we're on the casting thing. One Ooh. more trivia question. Most people know that Harrison Ford was originally approached to play Jack Ryan in The Hunt for Red October before Alec Baldwin eventually bagged the role. But in fact, another all-American movie star was approached to play Ryan even before Harrison Ford. Can you guess who was the producer's first choice for the role of Jack Ryan? Can I phone a friend? Yep. <laughs> that didn't Mike. help. Um, can you give me a hint? Like a film in? Okay. This very same actor would go on to play Chris Pine's CIA mentor in Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. Oh, that's I just told you I haven't seen that movie. Think 1989. Who are the biggest movie stars around? Who is that all-American 
I can give you another clue. Give me another want. clue. All right. Mace Newfelt, the producer, also produced a film called No Way Out. Oh, Kevin Costner. Yeah, so he was chummy with Costner and he went to Costner first, but apparently Costner was consumed with his Buffalo movie, to quote New Phil. So, did, did, no, no, no disrespect to Kevin Costner. I think they made, I think it's a, it's good that it ended up Baldwin and Ford. I don't see Costner. There's something, there's something a little too Midwestern about him for Jack Ryan, in my opinion, a little bit. He's a little too, like, of a farm boy. Yeah, I suppose that there's a, Costner come, doesn't necessarily, even though he, as a person, is an, inc- is, is an intellectual. Oh, absolutely. Doesn't necessarily read on screen as an intellectual. As you say, I think like he plays a lot of, like, everyman type right. characters where, you know, Baldwin One- definitely does and... You know, Ford has a bit of the rugged. He's he's kind of both, right? He well, seems he seems very smart on screen. Voice, but it's right. interesting how certain actors, like Chris Christopherson, for example, is like a Rhodes Scholar, but doesn't read on screen no. as an intellectual. So you know, it, it is it is an interesting thing. Well, I was going to say the movie that I think of when I think of Costner in this period is The Untouchables, and he makes a meal out of playing this like kind of family nerdy family guy who like literally the iconic young that innocent it's nice to be married huh yeah. like he and like i think to your point the com- the complexity of this movie you need a more complicated figure to play the part you need even though we don't love the quip you need a baldwin who can kind of be like do it do an impression or like it, exist Costner's in this very zone. in this era was very earnest yes you know and ryan is a little bit more is a you know is maybe a bit of both so in, in anyway i'm sure he also, would have been great but uh well he does not read as well healed from maine when jack ryan says i grew sure. up in maine i'm like i know exactly who this guy is um i know guys like that a little bit and Bald- baldwin is the most successful at feeling like the well healed cia analyst from maine and in, in the book it talks about how the fact that ryan has money and that his wife yeah. had money um, kind of affects some of his uh, his his choices and his thinking. So right. he does need to. Uh, yeah, that's very that's a very astute point. Yeah, it's just you. Th- I mean, again, you think of Costner as the Buffalo movie guy. Yeah, it's just a different thing. That's really interesting, though. Yeah. No way out's a good movie. Fun fact. Yeah. No way out. Yeah, a good movie. certainly is. Um, I, this movie rules. I don't know what else to say. We have a question here. Where does this film sit in the action movie tradition for you? I mean, it's top ten, top five. Wow. Yeah. I, I I think, yeah, I say I think it's historically significant in terms of its place in film in yeah. film history. I think it's like a pivot, literally a pivotal moment, end of the eighties, beginning of the nineties, beginning of that the the techno thriller trend. Yeah. Um the Simpson Bruckheimer muscular military movies that began, many of them directed by Tony Scott in that era, paves paves the way for Bourne. Um, and of course, obviously, all the Jack Ryan movies. So I think it's a very significant movie in the action uh, in the action film uh, tradition. And I would say it, it's not Die Hard. I don't know that any movie is Die Hard, but I, d- I certainly rank it very, very high and as close to Die Hard yep, as agreed. It's possible. I love this movie. If that I wasn't clear. love this movie. It's great. It's so good. Phil, as always, a pleasure. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to I'm see you. I'm just going to get back in my submarine and get back to Glendale. All right, I'll go look for the FBI guys because <laughs> we need more of them. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gothorn. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar 23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.